So the year was 1804 when Thomas Jefferson took a copy of the New Testament while seated in the White House. With the New Testament in one hand and a blade in the other hand, Jefferson would begin to cut out the portions of the Gospels that alluded to Jesus' divinity. What was left were only the ethical teachings of Jesus. That became what is known today of the works of the philosophy of Jesus of Nazareth and the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth, a printed collection from Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson believed Jesus was only a good man who had a philosophical ethic that was supreme, but Jefferson did not believe Jesus was God. Moral, yes. God, no. Now, when people say America began as a Christian nation uh, with Christian founders, we need to be very clear about something. Thomas Jefferson may have been the primary author of our Declaration of Independence, but he was not a Christian at that time. Jefferson only believed in Jesus the teacher, not Jesus the Messiah. Thomas Jefferson's belief in God was shaped by the same struggle humanity has had and we still have today. See, Thomas Jefferson struggled with humanity's struggle. See, humanity struggles this. Humanity's struggle is that we want God, we want a God made in our own image. We want God in our own imagination. We want God to be like us. We want God to be someone we can control. After all, we want to have a God we can understand, right? We want to have a God that we can reason with because to understand God gives us the permission to reduce God's greatness, thus elevating our own greatness. The problem is that any God made from our own imagination is too small and too weak. Just like Thomas Jefferson's version of God is too small and too weak. And this cut and paste version of God that Thomas Jefferson would have been had would have been too small and too weak. And let's be real, at one time, we all have had our own version or own picture of who God should be. I've had my own pictures of who God should be. I've had my own cut and paste version of Jesus. Any God that you can create, any God that I create with my imagination, honestly would be too small. And any God you create with your imagination will be too small to provide for you when no one else can. And any God that, that you create in your image or even your imagination will be too weak to protect you when nothing else can. And the God in your image, the God in your likeness, the way you want God to be is too shallow to comfort you during your crisis or calm your fears in the middle of your uncertainty. And the God in our image cannot give us the assurance of hope in the face of death. See, the God we make in our image is always less than the God of the Bible. 
and more on that in a moment. My name is Casey, and it is such a privilege and an honor to share this sacred time together with you, and I want to thank you for being here today. Uh, for those of you that are new with us in the room, I am so grateful that we get to share this time together with you. For those of you that are watching online, uh, we're so grateful to have this time that we get to experience with you wherever you are. And if you're new with us, we're grateful you're here. For those of you that are new with us, whether you're watching online or you're new with us in the room, I want you to know we have a gift for you. And for those in the room, if you're new with us, after today's service, we dismiss in a little bit. Will you make your way through our lobby, across our lobby, into the Welcome Center, which is right across the hall. In the Welcome Center, a host would be there, and that host would love to give you a gift for being with us today. And while you're there, if you'll give us less, less than four minutes of your time, our host would love to share with you uh, four things that we think you would be excited to hear about who we are as a church family, and, and you'll be encouraged to know about who we are. Um, and also, if you're watching online, we'd love to send you a gift. They're posting a link to a Connect card right now. Take a moment, fill that uh, connect card out and uh, click submit and we'd love to send you a gift for being with us today now Westside, would you help me let everyone watch it online and those in the room know how grateful we are to share this time with them will you do that yeah so today we begin a new series where we're going to survey the gospel of matthew uh, this gospel this matthew gospel is the first in our new testament canon and this was written in the first century by a jew for the jews for one reason the author respectively uh, understood to be the disciple matthew in our history wanted the jewish people to know that their version their image of god was less than god really was Less than who God really is. See, the Jews had the wrong picture of who God is and the wrong image of who the Messiah was supposed to be. The Messiah was an icon of the Hebrew people, a hero to come, if you will, who was prophesied and talked about for millennia by the Hebrew people and was recorded by the prophets in what we now call the Old Testament. The author of this ancient first century writing wanted his fellow Jews to know that Jesus was so much more, that Jesus from Nazareth was so much more than just a good teacher. He was just more than a Jewish rabbi who had some people who followed him. And so he wanted to communicate this. And so he begins his writing in this way. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Matthew. We're going to kind of go through several passages in Matthew, because I want today you to see an overview of what Matthew's trying to communicate. And so in the beginning of this, this introduction, as in his opening words, we read, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here, in these opening lines, in this opening line of the Gospel of Matthew, we find really his title of the book and his summary of what his book is all about. And it's more than just a genealogy of Jesus. This is the history, the story of Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth's story. And Matthew would write to his fellow Jews because he wanted them to see something specifically. He wanted his audience, his readers, to see the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Not just someone who claimed to be the Messiah like many people had in the past, but Jesus is not just one of many. He is the only 
Now, we say Jesus Christ a lot, and just so you're aware, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It, it, for, it, it's not a bad reason to think that. I mean, we would commonly understand that in many ways because Jesus Christ is not his last name. It is actually a title. And Christ is from the Greek word Christos, which is a translation in, from Greek of the Hebrew word Messiah or Hamashiach, which is the, the, the messianic title in Hebrew or Mashiach. And in this, Christ is the title the first century disciples gave Jesus because Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, and Jesus fulfilled the prophecies that identified him as the Messiah. He is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And in his opening line, Matthew here calls Jesus the Messiah and then puts something else on this. Why? Because his audience needed to know this. He's not just Jesus the Messiah. He's going to prove it. He is the son of David. In this opening line, Matthew summons the attention of his Jewish audience with a title that is connected to the greatest king of Israel, King David. The son of David is like a Hebrew code name uh, for the Jewish Messiah who would enter this world to rescue God's people. See, the Messiah is the anointed Jewish king who was appointed by God and prophesied to deliver God's people. The Messiah is who Israel had been patiently waiting for thousands of years to enter this world, to come and rescue them from the thousands of years of being enslaved, thousands of years of being oppressed, thousands of years of being subjected to the evil ruling authorities. By calling Jesus the son of David, Matthew connects Jesus to God's covenant with the Davidic king, with David himself and the covenant God made with David, a covenant that promised that David would have a king forever in his family, forever, for generations to come. And Matthew identifies that Jesus of Nazareth is that king forever. And then the prophecy of that, that Messiah would be king forever from the line of David, did you know this, is one of 456 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled down to the smallest detail. Matthew also records 19 of the 29 prophecies that Jesus would fulfill in his last 24 hours of his own life. An amazing credential to give evidence that Jesus is not just a Messiah, but the Messiah. See, Matthew is writing to convince his readers that Jesus of Nazareth is Jesus the Messiah, the King sent from God. And the next thing in this opening line is Matthew ties Jesus Messiah to the son of Abraham. Here's why this gospel is so important to the Jews, and here's why this gospel is honestly so important to you and I. See, the gospel of Matthew provides the evidence that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that would bless all nations. See, it's not just a promise to a people, a specific people. This is a promise to all nations. See, Matthew doesn't just make this claim. He's going to provide now the Jews the, with the evidence to back up this claim that Jesus came to fulfill the promise God made to their ancestor Abraham. 
That promise is recorded in the Hebrew Scriptures in Genesis chapter 22, and I just want to read that promise to you because it's a powerful promise. It's one that's thousands of years old that God faithfully fulfilled in the life of Jesus. When God made the promise to Abraham, telling Abraham, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. In that passage, he says your offspring. Offspring doesn't mean many people. It actually means seed, which is one singular. And in this, he says, through your offspring, all nations on earth. See, this scripture, I want you to realize, is not as much about Abraham's obedience. Abraham obeyed. It's more about God's faithfulness to his promise. Yes, Abraham needed to obey because it's through Abraham's obedience that Isaac would be born. Isaac would then have Jacob. Jacob would become the nation of Israel. And through the lineage of Israel, the Messiah would come. The seed to bless all nations through the seed of Abraham. See, Jesus the Messiah fulfills the promise God made to bless all people, not just one nation, all nations, all tongues, all nationalities, all ethnicities, all cultures, all people, color, regardless. It is about all people made in the image of God. And so after calling Jesus the Messiah and tying Jesus to the son of David and then tying Jesus to the son of Abraham, Matthew goes on into the genealogy of Jesus. And now I'm not going to read these to you, but let me tell you why I believe Matthew puts and includes this list of names after connecting Jesus to David. And in 14 generations, he includes David to Abraham. This is my thinking. See, I believe the gospel of Matthew opens with the good news that Jesus is the one who's come to save the generations of Adam. He's the one who's come to redeem. Jesus, the Messiah, come to redeem all people from all nations, all tribes, all languages, and all the generations that have proceeded from Adam. Where the oldest Adam, where old Adam failed, Matthew here describes and writes how Jesus, the Messiah, prevails. But this view of the Messiah was a stark contradiction to the version of the Messiah the Jews had. Contrary to the Jewish desires, Matthew quickly reveals that Jesus, the true Messiah, doesn't come to deliver Israel from the Roman oppression. This is what the Hebrews were wanting. They wanted the Messiah to come. They wanted the Messiah to come to here, become and start a military resolution, a revolution. But Jesus, the Messiah is not here to start that. Matthew reveals in his first 500 words that the Messiah has come to do something different, starkly different than the expectations of the people awaiting the Messiah. Jesus reveal, Matthew reveals that Jesus the Messiah came to deliver the world from their own evil sins. Not necessarily deliver them from the suffering through the oppressive human authorities, but the oppression of their own evil nature. When writing about the birth of Jesus, Matthew shares what the angel would tell Joseph, the future husband of Mary, to clarify the mission 
so his readers would know what the mission of the Messiah was. When talking to Joseph, Matthew records these words from the angel, that she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. In the Hebrew, it's Yeshua. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Did you catch that? In the opening lines, he tells you the purpose of the Messiah. Come in the infancy of a child. To save his people from their sins, which was a stark contradiction to what the Jews thought of. See, the Jews had a law. The law was to save the people from their sins. The Messiah was to save the people from the oppressive authorities. But Jesus comes in totally different. And, and, and Matthew says that this is what I want you to know about Jesus of Nazareth. He came to do what the law cannot do. He came to do what you cannot do for yourself. He came to save you from your sins. He is the Messiah. The, he is the one who will save his people from their sins. All of this, Matthew continues to write, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which parenthetically it's included, which means God with us. And now Matthew gives you the evidence to this. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him, and look at this, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, evidence that Jesus is the virgin birth, the Messiah born. And he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born? King of the Jews. Right out of the gate, Matthew begins to provide the convincing evidence that Jesus, yes, he's Messiah, here to save us from our sins, but he is so much more than that. Matthew gives us the evidence, yes, that Jesus is God, Emmanuel, God with us. And Matthew tells us what that means for the world. See, Jesus the Messiah, God with us, has come to save us from our sins, and he was born to be king. But he's not just the king of the Jews. He is the king over all people and over all things. The gospel of Matthew would quote or allude to the Old Testament literature over 129 times to reinforce the claim that Jesus is the Messiah that was promised in the Hebrew scriptures, elevating his authority as king. And Matthew wants his readers to recognize something that we cannot miss when we read the, Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. He wants his readers to see that God promised that a redeemer and savior would come to reign as king. And Jesus Christ fulfills and fulfilled that promise. And we need to recognize this today. See, you need to recognize... See, Jesus is not just a savior. Jesus is a king. And the, not just a king, 
He is the only king. And you know what? We don't like that in our American world. In fact, our whole government, our whole way of life is set up to where nobody's going to be king except two. Me. You. King of your own world. And this is where we come in conflict with the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Jesus. See, we have our own cut-and-paste versions of who we want God to be. We, we have our own cut-and-paste version of, of Jesus. And, and, and so is your version a, a cut-and-paste version of Jesus so you can make Jesus who you want him to be? Jesus is a good guy. You want him to be a cool guy. You want him to be the, the cool, uh, you know, the rabbi that has some neat teachings to follow. Do you want him to be the, the friend that, 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 that's just a good friend? He's a great teacher, but I don't want him to be king. King evokes so much more than just a good guy. King provides an authority. And for Jesus to be king would mean I must, you must follow him. We must follow him, submit to his authority and follow him. But you know what? That's not many of our versions of Jesus. Because our cut and paste version of Jesus, just like he, Thomas Jefferson did with the Bible, omits the authority of Jesus in our life. And Matthew wants his readers to confront their picture of God, their cut and paste version of this, their imaginary Messiah, their imaginary Jesus, made in their own image and their own likeness to their own likings. And Matthew wants us to confront that with the real Messiah who's not just a Messiah and Savior. He's our King. Matthew wants Jesus of Nazareth to reshape our picture of who God is and what God is like by describing and letting us see Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of God's promise to save the world by becoming King. This is how God saves the world. He comes and becomes king of the world. This is the only way Jesus can save the world. This is the only way Jesus can save you, is by becoming your king. You can't make Jesus your savior without letting him be your king. It's the only way he came to save. To not have Jesus as your king is to not be saved by the king. So Matthew immediately introduces us to Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, the true picture of God with us, who is our savior and king over all of us. And there's so much more in the gospel of Matthew. And we need to understand and explore. And so here's a couple other things that the gospel of Matthew shows us. See, the gospel of Matthew introduces the new people whom the Messiah would lead, the church. Matthew is the only gospel, mind you, who identifies the followers of Jesus as the church. He, it's the only gospel that talks about the church. And the gospel of Matthew records the first time this, is, this new humanity is, it would be called by this new name, a name that we use every single day, the church. This new humanity, the church, are the ones who have been saved by Jesus, the Messiah, and King. This new humanity are the redeemed people of Adam's genealogy. 
And these people follow the teachings of Jesus. Because the teachings that Matthew would present in his gospel become the way of this new humanity, the church. And this becomes a turning point in the gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 18, it's like when, when the whole tension shifts. And we read about this in Matthew 18, 13, when Jesus came to the reason, re- region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And this is why Matthew's writing this down. He wants you to know who the Son of Man is. See, Son of Man was a title Jesus would use from the prophet Daniel to refer to himself and refer to his divinity and his kingdom authority. And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And if this were like a musical score, if this would like be a musical, Matthew's gospel as a musical, there'd be this crescendo in this moment. See, this is the revelation of the truth. It's a revelation of truth of who Jesus is. And out of knowing who Jesus is, now emerges a new humanity that's going to be introduced. This is so important for us to understand because this is who we are, the church. We need to understand what Jesus says next when he replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which is like a little small rock, and on this rock, which is a bigger rock, and it's not Peter, by the way, it's the revelation of who Jesus is that Peter just had. He goes, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, or the gates of Hades, which is where death reigns, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Here Matthew introduces the church to the world. An ecclesia. That's that word church. It's, it, it was transliterated into German, and we actually translated it from, not ecclesia, we translated it from the German word kirsch, which is building for the church, and, and, and it actually means a gathering of the called out ones. That's what church is. It's a gathering of God's called out people, called by Jesus the Messiah, and built by Jesus the Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God. See, Matthew wants you and I to know the truth of who Jesus is because when you know the truth of who Jesus is, then you will know the truth of who the church is and who we are to be. See, the church is a gathering of those who have been called out, saved by Jesus because we follow him as not just a savior, we follow him because he's our king. And oh, by the way, This church is a gathering that death or the threat of death cannot stop. See, the gospel of Matthew reveals that nothing can stop what Jesus starts. And we also see in the gospel of Matthew, it reveals something else. See, the gospel of Matthew reveals that Jesus is the suffering Messiah. The Jews traditionally did not believe that the Messiah would undergo suffering Their oral traditions held that the Messiah was a great warrior who would conquer, not suffer. 
But Jesus immediately clarifies his role to suffer for the world. Right after confirming his identity in front of Peter and the disciples, he would say this. He said, Matthew would write about this. He would say, from that time on, this is why this was the turning point in Matthew's gospel. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus reveals how he will fulfill God's plan. See, the oral traditions that were passed down by the Hebrew people through the Jewish um, disciples and the way they would teach people, oral tradition had lost what the prophet Isaiah had said about the Messiah. See, the truth is that the Messiah would reflect the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And I want to read this to you. Let me listen, listen to this as I just read this to you. This is what they said about the Messiah that they've forgotten about. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Did you catch that? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. This is why Jesus suffered. He suffered so you don't have to suffer alone. He suffered so he could bear your suffering and come alongside you in your suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He was led, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears are silent, so he did not open his mouth. See, the forgotten Messiah was a suffering Messiah. And the reason Jesus suffered was so that we would not have to suffer the eternal punishment that we so much deserve. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. You know why? Because each of us have created our own cut-and-paste version of God, our own cut-and-paste version of Jesus, and we want to make Jesus in our own likeness, in our own likings, and make God in our own image. And when we do that, we follow a different path that is not a path toward life. It's a path that leads toward one way, destruction. And Jesus comes to interrupt that. Matthew writes this gospel to interrupt your image of God and your cut and paste version of God. When we've all made God in our own imagination to be our own likeness and our own likings, but in likings, but in Matthew's gospel, we see the true Messiah whom God promised to the world to come into this world to save the world by suffering for the world and calling his people to follow him as king. You know why you can trust him as king? Because he's a, sa a savior who would go through suffering. You can trust him. See, this Messiah is not just a savior. This Messiah is so much more. Jesus is the savior because he is the king with all authority. 
And this is the series big idea that we're going to be exploring and looking at over the next couple weeks as we survey this book, sharing Jesus the Messiah, the son of David and the son of Abraham to redeem all the people who would follow him as king. See, Jesus is the sovereign king who reveals God to us and brings us into the kingdom of God. This is who the Messiah is. He is the sovereign king revealing God to us, and his goal is to bring you and I into the kingdom of God. See, Jesus is not just a man who claims to be the Messiah, one of many men. He is is the Messiah. He's the king of all kings, and he's the king over all things. And Jesus is the king revealing God to you and brings you into the kingdom of God. That is how Jesus saves you. That's how Jesus saves us. He brings us into his kingdom. See, Jesus brings the kingdom of God near to us so that when we receive Jesus as Savior, follow him as king, he can bring us into his kingdom. That is the most secure place you can ever be. And that's Jesus' mission, to bring you in to the kingdom of God. And that's more than just Jesus' mission. See, the gospel of Matthew reveals that the mission of Jesus is the mission of the church. Jesus doesn't just save us from our sins. Jesus calls us into his mission. To be saved by Jesus is to be called into his mission. We cannot receive Jesus as Savior and not follow him as King To receive Jesus as our Savior, we must follow him as Lord and King and take upon his mission. It's no longer about our mission anymore. It's about his mission. And Jesus wants you and I to trust in him to save us. That's why he wants us to trust in him. And he, Jesus wants us to do more than that just to save us. He wants to see his people sacrifice everything for him because he is the worthy king of everything we have. He's a king that gives you everything in his kingdom. And what he gives you in his kingdom is worth anything and everything that you would have to give up to follow him. And because Jesus saves us, we are to join his mission and bring the kingdom of God near to those who need to be saved by becoming a part of the kingdom of God. And Matthew captures this mission and the calling, and this calling in Matthew 9. And I just want to finish today with reading this because it's a very special thing. Listen to how he, in the heart of a Savior, and how the people follow him, and he calls them to follow his mission. As he, Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David. And we had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went about, out and spread the news about him all over that region. And while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues. Look at this, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom 
and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus the King, who has authority over all things, even the things that makes that make us suffer under sickness and disease. He has authority over that. And Matthew also describes Jesus as a king who has authority over darkness and the darkness of evil. And Matthew describes how Jesus used his authority to save us from sin and sin's curse when we were harassed and helpless. See, we all are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus comes to save us, but he just doesn't come to save us. He comes to send us on his mission. See, Jesus uses his authority to bring us into God's kingdom, and Jesus delegates his authority to us to expand his kingdom by making disciples. This is what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not a calling to sit. It's a calling to get in the game and play, and the way we play is we make disciples. We don't attend services alone. We gather and then we go. And we don't have a God made in our image and we don't have a cut and paste version of Jesus. We have a different picture of Jesus. And we're not going to live our our life with cut and paste versions of Jesus. We're not going to live our life with cut and paste, pick and choose versions of God. We're going to see Jesus for who he is. Yes, he's a savior that that gives us everything that we, we need in Christ and he is a king that we follow. And we're going to see his true image through Jesus, the sovereign, suffering king. And we're going to live our life for a greater purpose to fulfill his greater mission. A mission that the gospel of Matthew ends with when Matthew would say, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus delegates his authority to his new people, his new humanity, the church, a church that he's building, a gathering, a called out people that he is building. And the way he builds it is by sending us to go, to live out what Jesus has taught us, to join his mission, to bring more people and bring others into his kingdom. And the way we do that is we make disciples who follow Jesus' teachings because he is king. You see, Jesus isn't just a savior to know. No, he is a Lord we follow. He's not just someone to know. He's a king we follow. So where are you today? Do you need to repent of your cut and paste version of Jesus and begin following Jesus as your king? Do you need to see Jesus as your savior and put him as your Lord today? Where are you? And then what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask us to pray for one another. And, and, and I want you to pray for one another. And, and this is how I want to encourage you to pray. Father, help my friend trust Jesus as savior and follow him as Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to do that, and it's going to take courage.